You can now hear Movie Heaven Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is radio on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favourite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad and in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and it's on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory. You can stream your favourite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And please, leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we are both independent filmmakers who enjoy discussing movies, TV series, and related media. And for this special episode, we're pleased to welcome a guest. We have fellow filmmaker William McLaughlin. So uh, welcome to the podcast, William. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, It's nice to speak to you both. Yeah, well, we, we you, you've worked, well, you've worked with Simon in the past, I believe, yep, is Simon, that right? Simon, yeah, Simon gave me my break in the movie industry and I worked as a runner in his uh, prologue section of Blood and Roses, which was was awesome, um, gave me my start in the industry, so thank you, Simon. Oh, you're welcome. Ah, and I know you, Keith, through our mutual friend, Claire Bueno, who I listened to in the podcast recently. Ah, that's right, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, well, for the for the... For the benefit of the rest of the world that might be listening, um, could you uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, William, and, and yes. what you're interested in? Uh, well, like probably everybody listening to this podcast, I'm interested in movies, um, both as a, a viewer and as a creator. Um, and I suppose my background has been independent filmmaking like yourselves. I worked as a sound recordist for about five years, um, and then I took a break from that. And now I happen to be working on a movie in the locations department. I'm working on Outlaw King, which is shooting in Scotland just now, uh, starring Chris Pine as Robert the Bruce and directed by David McKenzie. So that's been an absolute belter of a project. Um, I've got a little bit of time off at the moment. We've got the rap party tonight. Um, and then I don't know what the future is bringing. Um, probably going to be working on a little mini documentary thing that I've been doing um, for a while. So that's my plan for December. Oh, well, fantastic. Fantastic. So, uh, um, okay, well, I mean, the, the reason we've we set up this meeting or this podcast was um, based on, uh, I guess I met you back in February uh, yeah. at the Fright Fest Glasgow. Um, mm-hmm. we, we met up there and I remember that uh, we had quite a long conversation uh, regarding the DC universe um, and, uh, you know, the various movies and properties uh, that, that fall under that. And mm-hmm. obviously, uh, myself and, and Simon on previous podcasts, we, we, we've touched on the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe a little bit here and there. And we've obviously looked into the X-Men movies. We've, we've had quite a uh, in-depth podcast on that one uh, with Graham Williams. Um, but we haven't really talked much about the DC universe, so thought that this might be a uh, 
really interesting opportunity to do that. Uh, the other thing we thought was quite interesting is most of the guests that Simon and I have had on in the past are sort of within our generation. Uh, you know, we're kind of like Generation X, I guess. We, mm-hmm. uh, we were born in the 70s and, uh, you know, we, we grew up sort of watching movies and TV shows through the 80s. And most of our guests have been sort of around that, either a few years older, a few years younger or whatever. But, um, but you're, you're actually uh, a little bit younger than, than Simon and I. And we thought, well, that could also be interesting to get a, if you like, a millennial's point of view. We're totally jealous of you, really, for being younger, but there you go. <laughs> well, when, but, when Keith and I, when we met, um, I think that you were one of the things that you were enjoying about what I was seeing was basically anything that was coming out of my mouth. You were saying, I've got to tell Simon about this because you'll be completely Well, I do, I do, so I do think that this could make um, uh, for. for for quite a uh, quite an interesting discussion, in so much as I think um, you and Simon might have very different opinions on That's some of this thing. stuff. That's whereas I'm nice. probably going to be the fence sitter to a certain extent. <laughs> so, so, but but hey, that makes for a good podcast. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> so, so, I mean, DC Universe, um, they DC and Warner. Um, it's they, they've kind of gone a slightly different route to what um, Disney Marvel have, have done uh, in so much as obviously the, the X-Men is its own thing because of ownership by studios. So, uh, you, you know, the, the X-Men franchise is kind of the Donna Singer Kinsberg area. And, you know, they've got, what, 10 films and a couple of TV shows on, on the go at the moment. But then... With the MCU, we're, we're up to, I think, 17 films now. And then there's six, like, streaming series and two network TV series. But, you, you know, that all falls under um, one single continuity. You know, all the shows and the characters are connected and they fall under this sort of one universe. Whereas DC seem to have gone with three strands to their universe. So you've got, obviously, the... The, the DC TV universe, which is the sort of Greg Berlanti, uh, Mark Guggenheim shows, of which I think there's about four TV shows and, and an animated show at the moment that, that sort of fall under that continuity. I believe it's, and then, you, they refer to it as the CW. The CW, yeah. yes. The, the, the Arrow, it's the Arrowverse, isn't it, yeah. actually? Yeah. The, 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 the CW network ha- has that one. And then you've got... Uh, the original DC animated films, which I think is sort of the Bruce Timm um, uh, films that sort of come out, they sort of go direct to video or, or streaming, um, you know, one or two of those every year. And then, of course, you've got the, the DC extended universe, which we're up to five films with now, with, uh, with obviously Justice League being the... the the, the the latest one and it seems that sort of Zack Snyder and Christopher Nolan um seem to be the sort of execs uh in charge of that so it's so it's it's uh it, it's strange how they've they've taken a slightly different path to um 
to to Marvel, even though they seem to have uh, copied quite a bit of what Marvel are trying to do as well. I mean, I think I think with any kind of uh, business, you know, you either go down the same route as your competitors, or you have to do something different. Um, I think it's probably not a bad idea to compartmentalise it, because if one thing is a, a mess with fans, um, there's other avenues that you can still go and have consistency, perhaps. Um, so it's not necessarily a bad idea, and also it allows them the potential in the future to combine everything if they want to. Something that often happens in comics is parallel universes kind of merge and stuff like that. So there's potential to kind of do different things with it. Yeah, mm. it's this is whole concept of the multiverse, which um, right. the which they yeah they've 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 embraced big time. <laughs> so yeah, okay. Well, I mean, t- tell us a little bit then as you're the guest, and, and I've already done a lot of talking, um, <laughs> t- tell us a little bit about uh, your relationship, I guess, to, to comic books in general, and then more specifically how you feel about DC and Marvel, etc. Sure. So I don't know how long it was ago, about six or seven years, I think, there was a, a thing that ran in Glasgow called Batman Live, very similar to the Marvel Live thing that uh, happened recently, I think, in the last year. Basically a stage play. And I had a friend uh, that I used to work with who had an extra ticket. And I'd read comics as a child, um, but not so much as an adult. Maybe things like Watchmen and Mouse and stuff and sort of critically acclaimed graphic novels. But when I went to see Batman Live, I was absolutely blown away. It was such a brilliant production. Um, sort of acrobatics and circus tricks and stunts and theatrical kind of stage play stuff really impressive and I bought some Batman comics and I for whatever reason just got sucked hoot line and sinker into reading comics again and being a filmmaker and doing my own writing I think a lot of the writing in comics is far less kind of micromanaged um, than it can be in film and I think you get a really clear writer's voice coming through or you can get a really clear voice coming through in comics And it's a visual sort of narrative storytelling medium as well. So there's all these things there that I'm interested in and I like. Um, So predominantly, I would say I'm a DC reader, but I also read various Marvel comics as well. Um, And other companies like Dark Horse, Boom Studios, uh, IDW and stuff as well. Um, So after I saw Batman Live and I started reading comics, um, I saw Man of Steel with a friend. And it was just one of those times where you go to the cinema and see what's out and that was out. Um, and I liked it. I thought it was a different take in the character, a post-Nolan kind of world. They obviously took the character in that sort of more hyper-real kind of direction, what Superman existed here. And I really liked it. And then Batman versus Superman came out. I enjoyed that at the cinema, though I think it was shambolic. But I liked the scope and the sort of seriousness of it. A really good counterpoint to Marvel. Um, who've got much more sort of light-hearted, jocular kind of comic booky, you know, take on it. This was much more the weight of the world, high stakes kind of stuff. And then with Batman versus Superman Ultimate Edition, I love that film, hands down, my favourite comic book movie. Um, I really like it. And then recently going to see Justice League. Um, I've kept this under wraps from you because I didn't want to kind of colour your thoughts on what this would be. I think you maybe got me on because I would defend this sort of uh, stuff. But I hated Justice League, one out of five, just probably the worst uh, cinema experience for a film I've been anticipating that I've ever had. 
just thought it was a total shambles, really messy. I can't imagine Zack Snyder Josh, or Joss Whedon are particularly happy having their names attached to this. Um, and I, I don't know, as a, as a sort of blockbuster, does it work? Yeah, it'll take your mind off your uh, day for two hours, but as any kind of thought or meaning in it, not at all. So that's, that's oh, where, where very interesting. Okay. <laughs> All right, Simon, do you have, do you have any thoughts or comments you want to add at this point? Well, I, let me sort of tell you my history. I, it's kind of similar to Williams that when I grew up as a kid, I was um, I read comic books, but I didn't read them in a massive way. But um, I grew up with the. Um, Oh, the 60s Batman show, the repeats on TV. <clears throat> so Adam West and, yeah, so we always had, you know, Batman was kind of a, a big part of my growing up uh, as well as the Batman comics. I was never really that much into uh, Superman or Marvel. But then uh, when I was in my early 20s, um, I got the comic book bug. And this was uh, in the 90s. And this was around the time of Nightfall and um, Death of Superman. And these were big comic book events. And this was when you, uh, not only were you trying to get every issue, but you were trying to get every cover as well. This is when you get the introduction of, you know, there being like four different covers for the same comic book. And you had to get them all. And you had to get that one special one and all that kind of stuff. Um, I actually yeah. had a copy of uh, The Funeral of Superman. And there was like a special edition where it was, um, it came in plastic and it was like a, it was a white cover. There wasn't anything on there. And, um, you know, at the time people were fighting over these things, but, uh, you know, years down the line isn't worth a lie. It's uh, amazing how much money we uh, spent on comic books back in the nineties and how, you know, they're not worth anything. (laughs) I mean, I would also read comic books like Spawn and, um, and I was a big Star Wars collector and I read the Alien comics and all this stuff. I mean, it was it was such a... Um, it just opens your eyes to the, the bigger scope of, um, you know, of films. You know, these comic books, they extend stories and go off in different directions and come up <laughs> with these new concepts and, you know, in ways that uh, filmmakers at the time couldn't do. I mean, we're talking about a pre-CGI world. And so um, I love the Christopher Nolan Batman films. I absolutely adored them, including uh, Dark Knight Rises. I actually really enjoy that film. And I, you know, I will defend it to my death. Because <laughs> people had a lot to say badly about it. But for me, it sort of completed the trilogy. And it's kind of opened the door for a new trilogy at the end or a new series but they decided that's where they were going to end it and then of course uh christopher nolan's you know helping to to make a new superman film of course i was going to be excited i was you know i actually went to the odeon leicester square uh with uh clive ashington a guest of ours uh Mm -hmm. to go and see it and i came out of it and i was like god that was awful (laughs) Now, <laughs> uh, I was kind of enjoying the sort of 
more angsty side of it. You know, this is somebody trying to discover who Superman is without having to go to the uh, Fortress of Solitude and be tutored by his father for many years. <laughs> you know, he has no guidance, really. And um, I was enjoying that bit, but when uh, General Zod turned up and it just became a massive CGI punch fest, I really lost um, all care for it. And also the ending pissed me off. Um, the, um, the, the amount of destruction that happened to Metropolis and Superman at the end is never worried about all these people who die in this catastrophe but when it comes down to a family of good looking people he's going to break somebody's neck that's not Superman to me I, I don't know I quite like that kind of Superman um, I think it's, it's one of those things where they absolutely replicated I think perfectly the kind of destruction that was going on that happens in a comic book and transferred that into the, uh, the film I remember watching it myself and being shocked at just the length that they were going to to show how much stuff was being destroyed and so on and i would argue that it's done in a much much worse way in justice league where that threat um that steppenwolf presents it's so insignificant the stakes are so low it really needed something like the approach taken in both the previous films where there's this huge military intervention and the fate of the world rests in the hands of the, the main characters. And in Justice League, it just, I, I was almost watching somebody play a computer game where I thought, I can do better than that. Well, that's, that's how I felt watching Man of Steel. It did, the, the, the fight scenes between Superman and the other Kryptonians felt like a video game. And what they did to um, oh, um, Smallville, they absolutely wrecked that place. <laughs> absolutely wrecked the place. And the thing is, having, you know, I, I remember, I remember the, the death of Superman comics and the, the, the amount of destruction that took place in it. And the amount of times that uh, Superman did everything in his power to move that fight away or try and protect people. And in in this, in, in Man of Steel, he didn't seem to care. I think maybe they, I think they maybe did need some, a few more little bits of him saving people. Um, I appreciate that. I think- um, Possibly, I mean, I mean, take Superman too. When we have the original fight between Zod and Superman, Superman tries to take it away and it's Zod who decides yeah. to use their powers against the people because they realise that Superman cares it's his weakness yes mm. and the thing is in Man of Steel he has no weakness he really do he doesn't really and it doesn't come across as somebody who's trying to learn to be Superman either I mean, I've heard that argument oh well he's not Superman yet but he is I and don't know I but he's, he's a, but, but you don't but you don't see him sort of learning to be Superman or, or, or any of his actions you know affect him in in, in any way really you know I think, I think there was enough of the there was enough of the sort of proto Superman learning to be Superman for me in that movie um, it did it did feel like it was you know the golden age sort of early version of the character rather than what we've got in the comics now which is a super developed very complex, um, not just in terms of his character, but in 
the way that the company write Superman at the moment and not current with the Superman Rebirth books just now. Mm-hmm. But I understand there's currently been two versions of Clark Kent and things like that, which is typical for comics. The other thing that I really liked about Man of Steel was its treatment of Lois Lane, who I believe should be an inspiration to Superman and be kind of one of the people who sets the precedent for this is how you should conduct yourself. And the fact that they had Amy Adams at the end of Man of Steel setting up um, you know, Clark to be one of the uh, planet reporters, I thought was brilliant, really, really good, a nice modern twist on it. And I think the Donner Superman films are awesome. I watched them as a child a lot. Hmm. I think that you can't do that now. I think one of the things that I really like about the Snyder take on Superman is if Superman existed, how would he operate in our world? Now, I think that they don't actually even go far enough in the Zack Snyder films because I think he'd be in Area 51 with his brain open being vivisected. You know, we would be <laughs> trying to get technology to kill each other with. Um, so, you know, how would how would Superman deal with, you know, um, you know all the political, uh, geopolitical fallout of things like Trump and Brexit and Putin? Uh, how would he deal with the situation in Syria? You know, would he be able to save those people? No, I don't think he would. There's no solution to these kinds of problems that are that simple. So I like the, the updated take. I do appreciate that some people really dislike that and they want a more escapist kind of version. Well, I mean... The thing is, I, I've I've watched Batman v Superman recently, and I've only watched the theatrical cut. So if there's more of this in there, I don't know. But they kind of try to address that in in that film. You know, they try to you know what is Superman in the real world? You know, what is he to us? You know, sh- should he be rule? You know, what should be the boundaries? All that kind of stuff. But then they drop it. They absolutely drop it, and. You know, and I mean, going into why I didn't like, enjoy that film was the fact that you had uh, two characters with opposing uh, points of view, Superman and Batman. Batman saw Superman as a threat and that's set up very early. And, you know, it's, they're two different points of view of how, I don't know, how they should treat, you know, villainy. In some sense, you know, Batman's very, you know, gung ho. He's he, he doesn't care about, um, you know, what happens to the villains after he captures them. I mean, the whole this whole branding thing, and um, so you've got these two opposite points of view, and you see why these two would clash. But then to make it out that actually it was a ploy by Lex Luthor to, for these two to fight. And the way he gets them to do it is so controversial, you know, so, <laughs> so long, so really, it, it, it all depends if all these certain bits fall into place, you know. It, it's, yeah, it's, I, I get, yeah, I get exactly yeah. I mean, it, it's it's funny. It's I, I, it's um, I heard this line on a TV show, and they they said it was about an FBI agent trying to. Uh, unsolved a a sort of conspiracy that's going on and she says we have to be uh lucky once they have to be lucky all the time and that sums up lex luther's plan (laughs) he has to be lucky all the time well i think i think the, the the thing that um i would highlight as well is that the studio totally damaged the film by cutting half an hour out of it 
So when you watch the theatrical cut, I feel like, you know, I I enjoyed it, but I could tell it was a seriously compromised, you know, film that mm. I was watching. And they've, they've taken out a sixth of the film um, prior to, you know, the, the film being released. That's a sixth of the final cut. And I think you you miss so much that's important. And it isn't just big chunks that they're taking out. It's all these little extra bits in the scenes that make the whole thing kind of hang together. And I think what I love so much about that film is it feels the most like reading a comic to me. It is things like Luther's plan coming off perfectly. And the first few times I watched the theatrical cut, I just didn't get enough information about what was happening there to kind of see how it worked. Whereas in the director's cut, definitely more information makes it clearer what's going on. And Luther is lucky, um, but he's also, you know, in the comics, there's this thing about the smartest person in the DC Comics universe, and it's either Batman or Lex Luthor, but they've never come out directly and said who's the smarter, but they're both meant to be the kind of genius level intellects that operate. I think you get a little bit more of Batman trying to detect and figure out, you know, what's is he being manipulated while he's in this sort of blind view. I think it was more sophisticated and, and just more effective. And definitely, Simon, if you if you can be bothered and tolerate do it again, I'd say like a bit like Kingdom of Heaven if you've had the misfortune to watch the theatrical cut of that the director's cut turns it you know from a mediocre film or a film that's failing into one that's really effective and works if you're going to go with it well so, i mean I, I agree with you on kingdom of heaven i mean the director's cut is far superior to the theatrical cut but then i did quite enjoy the theatrical cut when i saw it at the cinema so <laughs> that's me but i, I mean I, but i mean i i can understand what you're saying but i think i think the main problem was that they would trying to have their cake and eat it the the thing uh-huh. is they were trying to do the dark knight as in batman v superman plus the death of superman and, and the donna justice aspect as well of bringing yeah. the league together very lazy way of doing it is this high, whole epk pack that uh yeah. wonder woman watches but the also the fact uh-huh. is where that comes because that yeah. comes in the middle of the setup to the fight. It's, you know, there's, it, it really takes the tension out of the whole thing when suddenly, you know, they're building up to, you know, Batman's put the bat signal out and um, Superman is being forced to fight. And then suddenly it cuts to Wonder Woman watching these little videos. And you're like, what? Yeah. I believe that scene is in a different place in the director's cut. Oh, okay. Luther stuff happens in a different order in the director's cut as well, but it's been years since I've seen the theatrical version, so I can't remember mm, um, yeah. directly. But that's all altered. I would say, as an aside, it's my least favourite part of comic book movies as a genre is the setup for future films. You know, when I buy a ticket <laughs> yeah. for a film, I want a self-contained film. That's fine if it's in a series. That's awesome. I like James Bond. I like Harry Potter. I don't want to see adverts like that in the middle of the film. Uh, it's the same with the post-credit scenes. I hate them. Having worked in a cinema, I want the audience out as soon as the director's <laughs> name comes up. You know? and sit there and wait for this advert for the next film. It's so cynical and so business-minded. I really hate that. And it's not the films. That's the whole genre at the moment. I really don't like it. It's, it's also to do with like the streaming model as well, because uh, the the f- the filmmakers and the studios get paid per minute 
And so if they can get people to stay and watch the whole of the film, it's more money in the bank. So it's sort of coming from that. But yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Marvel um, very much, uh, when they've done this in the past, um, Avengers 2, Age of Ultron, I mean, uh, was very guilty of that. And it's kind of ruined what could have been a great film. Um, There's all this setting up for other, other adventures in there. And it was kind of distracting. We didn't need four to go off to a mystical cave so he can have a vision. You know, it was like, maybe that could be the beginning of another film, but that was just, yeah. But um, I, it's a weird thing because we, we always compare Marvel and uh, DC and especially when it comes to the film. So, you know, the same year as um, Batman v Superman comes out, we have Captain America Civil War, which funny enough is exactly the same story it's two superheroes with opposing views who in the end have to fight each other and it is done so much better because you get to understand what those views are on captain america's point of view he's trying to protect his friend but in iron man's view he's you know he sees him as a threat and somebody who should be taken down and also, it deals with the fact of, you know, their actions in the real world. So they're under a committee now. They have to, you know, get their orders from the government because of the effects that they've had. And it was a kind of, it was a great use of Age of Ultron, the fact that all these people had died in this, you know, this town, in this country. And, you know, they the, the aftermath of that was that, it wasn't a case of well they they've flown off now and there's no um, no repercussions from that they're off on another adventure now you know doesn't care you know the the events that happened in that film directly affected the characters in the in the next in the next film and um, as much as Batman v Superman tried to do that um, it just it just sort of missed the ball. It's so just, for me, it's almost almost the opposite. I feel like Civil War <laughs> quite didn't quite get there for me, um, and I, I, in some ways, I have the same problem with both films. Which is Batman v Superman. I would have liked a lot more Batman v Superman and a lot more focus on that. I think the film's at its best when the intensity of, of that conflict comes together. And I had the same problem with Captain America: Civil War. Um, I don't feel like the two characters quite went at each other enough and there's that bit at the end where um i think it's uh captain america's gonna possibly you know kill tony stark with his shield you know and i just didn't ever believe it would go to that i didn't i didn't get that um also the the issue my partner tabby had with the film which she was very unhappy with is she loves captain america she hates iron man and to have this <laughs> film be pushed as iron as captain america 3 she was very disenfranchised with that. Um, I don't know. My, my favourite of the Marvel films are Ant-Man, which I think is brilliant, mm. and The Winter Soldier, which I also think is brilliant. And I think it's these films are ones that I like because I think the filmmakers involved were on the same side as the studio and their vision was just it was much clearer and uh, supported than something like Civil War, which is one of these films that I feel it's a bit... It's a bit too studio. It's a bit pushing the brand and maybe, you know, 
I also appreciate as well as a 33-year-old um, man with, with no family, um, I, I am not necessarily the person that these kind of films are appealing to. Um, so there's, there's that as well. I'm looking at them maybe with a more objective viewpoint from a filmmaking point, filmmaking point of view um, than maybe if, if I was younger or if I had children, I might be much more invested into it. Uh, you're only you're only just a millennial then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're only just scraping in there, bloody hell! There's, there's... <laughs> I kind of I can see where you're coming from on uh, on Civil War. The studio kind of pushed it, you know, especially the advertising. Are you Team Cap or are you Team Iron Man? But I don't think the filmmakers were very much. I don't think it was like that when it came to the actual film. I think there was actual solid reasons for why um, this divide happened. And it, it all came down to, you know, Captain America's, um, you know, friendship with Bucky. If it wasn't for that, I don't think, you know, it would have been a, a hard stretch to believe that Captain America would have turned on the others to protect his protect this guy. That's That's, I think, why I wanted more... Tony versus Steve. I wanted that relationship to be much more prominent in the film, and I think I would have enjoyed it more, like I might have enjoyed Batman versus Superman even more if it had been more Batman and Superman and more Tony and Steve. You know, I think <laughs> that core conflict—it's so crucial to any story. And you, at your peril as filmmakers, you know, bring in Wonder Woman and have uh, crossbones having the opening scene and stuff like that. You, you know, the more you dilute the core concept of the story the less powerful those moments actually can be, I think. Yeah, but I mean, that was the yeah. inciting incident. That was what made yeah, yeah, the government yeah. step in and, and stuff like that. Also, I mean, your point about um, Superman sort of, you know, needing to be a lot grittier. I mean, take how they've done Captain America. They've, they've just, you know, presented him as a Boy Scout, as he, you know, should be. And it's worked really well. So I think Superman could have been could have play, played as Superman without being having to be gritty and moody and, you know, I, I worry about my place in the world and, you know, all the sort of Jesus Christ allergies as well. A lot of Jesus Christ allergies in there. But um, I think that the thing about Superman is that he is supposed to be a representation of the best of us. He does, you know, he's a selfless person. I mean, in the death of Superman, he dies trying to protect the people from this threat who just won't give up. And he doesn't give up either to the point that to defeat him, he has to, he has to die. And is isn't from like a spike in the chest. It's the fact that these two have been fighting each other for so long, you know, that it is literally comes down to, you know, it's like the battle royale of it, you know, of the century to the point that they just, they just punch each other to death. And that, that path in the comic is brilliant. Just when yeah. you're describing it, I'm imagining all the windows exploding and stuff. Mm. I mean, I think, you know, it's it's interesting that they did go down this hyper-realistic route or, you know, trying to put these heroes into um, a world that looks like our world initially at the start uh, with the DCEU stuff. Because in the comics, everybody will be listening to this, thinking about Metropolis and Gotham and all these central city and so on. All these cities in DC are fictional. Whereas in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and in the comics, it's often that they're in New York and that yeah. they're in mm. Earth cities. 
And I think actually what's happened with the films is that it's almost like they've switched. Where in something like Civil War, you know, they're in, you know, uh, cities that actually exist on Earth for the most part. And then in, um, you know, the uh, DC stuff, they're in, you know, cities that, that don't exist at all. But they've done it in a way where, I don't know, it seems like, to me, the DC stuff was meant to be more like our Earth and the Marvel stuff, you know, by the kind of style that they're doing it in. It's it's not an Earth that I recognise. It's a, a comic book analogy of it. Hmm. And I don't think one is better or worse. It's almost like they've just switched their own style from the comics where Marvel have had a, you know, based in reality um, for their heroes to be operating in, and DC is completely mythical. Seems like the DC stuff is trying to be as close to our reality as possible, whereas the Marvel films are much more fantastic with their presentation of the world that this all exists in. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're definitely, with, with the with the new films, they're definitely, uh, the, the DC ones, trying to set them in our world to the point where they have the you know the headline with the death of superman but also the fact that bowie and prince went in the mm -hmm. same year which <laughs> uh, you know is is well trying to insert into into where we are now and uh, like you said that was always the sort of thing that um differentiated the uh the marvel and the dc universe was the fact that yeah marvel takes place mm -hmm. very much in cities and in places that are real to us whereas in the DC world, all the all the all the places are, are fictional as well, um, and it, and it's and it's sort of weird that uh, y y you know ev everything's taken a, a slight shift um, because of almost because of what Nolan did with 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 his Batman trilogy is um, you know he made everything very much fit into the real world and and, and make sense and. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, now that they have gone sort of much more fantastical. And, um, oh, by the way, thanks for your shout out to the Batman live. Um, uh, I actually went and saw it as well. Um, much to the disgust, I think, of my then girlfriend who came with me and wasn't, wasn't as impressed. <laughs> but, Did she uh, you didn't like it? Oh. <laughs> No, not not really. No. Whereas I, I got a kick out of it, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, and I, I think I think one of the points that you guys have made that uh, that's interesting as well is the the fact that um, you know sometimes the studio does almost get in the way of the storytelling and I think with the what one of the one of the problems if you want to call it that with what Warner have done um, with this uh, DCEU is you know, and I know they've been criticized for this um, sort of publicly quite a bit, is the fact that um, it's almost as if they tried to play catch up with what Marvel were doing. So where Marvel had taken these different phases of films and, and you know, sort of time to set things up with individual uh, character stories before uh, having their team up uh, Avengers Assemble um, movie, uh, you, you know, Warner tried to skip over that a little bit by, um, uh, you, you know, bringing multiple characters together um, very quickly, uh, you know, and for some of the, well, not just general audience, but even some of the comic book audience, it almost became slightly confused and, and bloated and laborious 
um, you, you know, in the structure of, well, particularly like the, the theatrical version of, of Batman v Superman, um, it, you know, because they were trying to sort of almost cram too much in and therefore you end up with a, a movie that's nearly three hours long and, uh, you, 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 you know, there are scenes in it that are obviously setting things up for the next film, but I knew comic book fans that were even confused by some of the, some of Bruce Wayne's, you know, dream within his dream <laughs> of a premonition of the future and, and the yeah, flash, exactly. you know, prodding him to wake up from it and all this sort of stuff. So, you, you, you know, you know, I, I, I think, um, that's a lot of that is not necessarily the individual filmmaker as such, but I think it's also perhaps pressure from the big, big corporation, i.e. the studio, to get these things done so that they can have this lineup where they have two movies for the next 15 years, you know, on the slate, as it were. Um, mm. So I, I, I think... I think that happened a little bit here. Uh, at least that's my feeling on it. Yeah, I mean, can I just say about that uh, sort of nightmare sequence uh, in Batman v Superman? I mean, it really has no effect on the overall story. I mean, I thought the bit where uh, when the, the Flash sort of, you know, has his cameo and he's like, it's all about Lois, you know, protect Lois. And you thought, oh, okay, something's going to happen to Lois Lane that if she dies, Superman's going to turn evil. And none of that happens. And it's just like, what the... F what? I, 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 okay, so they're... All right, well, they're setting it up for another film, but how's that going to work if, you know, at the end, uh, you know, Superman dies? <laughs> you know, it's just... <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it, that's actually now kind of used as the setup to get Superman back in the... Uh, uh, in justice because you know he's saying that lois lane is the key he's the key and of course she's the one that she's the big gun or whatever bruce wayne refers to it as that that they have to bring in in, in justice league to um to sort of the uh the superman resurrection situation um so i suppose it is kind of setting up what's the what what was to follow but i, I know it confused shed loads of people because i had um lots of conversations uh, uh, about that whole seat so my my you know, uh, and what it meant my my thinking on the nightmare sorry is they could have they could have cut that um mm. based on what we got in justice league i don't think it was necessary no. uh, really though it looks great but that's not necessarily what i want in my films you know every <laughs> film should look great uh, at this level yeah. i think also the thing that i would uh, say about them rushing that doesn't bother me at all I think it's it's part of the business. They're obviously, you know, desperate to get a piece of that Marvel pie and uh, eat into that audience uh, kind of money that they can get a hold of. So that that I appreciate that's how companies work. What does annoy me is things like David Ayer, you know, writing his rushing a Suicide Squad film and he's getting it already, and then the studio come in and they completely recut it, and the film that we, you know, ended up with, I think was completely different to what was originally intended. As with Justice League, what I was watching on on the screen was not what I'd paid the ticket price to go and see. 
Uh, I don't know if you guys know, but something like 60% of all the shots used in the trailers are not in the film. Yeah. Um, so they, Which they is common it, nowadays. Yeah. For, for three hours of uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League movie, um, you know, the studio took out an hour of that. And then, you know, allegedly Joss shot as 20% extra or whatever it was. I think it's more like 50%. So the, the Joss Whedon Justice League we get using the Snyder principal photography, it's a total mess. It's totally wrong. Um, the characters, which I, you know, fans who have liked it have said, oh, the characters are brilliant. Well, they may be closer to their comic book stuff at the moment, but I'm not... You know, if I want the comic book stuff, I'll I'll buy it. I've got my pull list of, of books that I'm reading right now, and I like them. I went and saw Man of Steel and Batman vs Superman, and thoroughly enjoyed them. And I went and saw this, and the message from Warner Brothers to me is: these films aren't for you anymore. You know, you've done your supporting the brand. Now we're at a stage where we're just appealing to everybody, which is obviously what every film should do anyway. But all that sort of in-depth um, kind of honouring of all the the canon that's out the window and you know all the superman development that we've been leading up to is you know superman is a migrant and he's been badly treated on earth and you know people can't see that he's trying to help and do the right thing um all that's out the window and instead we get this horrible you know version of the character that seems to have been sucked out of donner's film and then you know amped up a hundred times and pumped into this universe where he totally doesn't fit so i i hated henry cavill in the film i thought it was awful <laughs> that's really wow yeah and okay. I, 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 I must admit what kind of disgusts me is about the, the sort of the DC films as well as the amount of money they're spending on these films and they're an absolute mess I mean the budget for Justice League is estimated to be 300 million that's bigger than some countries you know national gross <laughs> I mean, that is just a disgusting waste of money. And they won't make it back. No, they won't make it back. I think the projection from Forbes is the film has to have a global finishing total of at least $700 million to not make a direct loss for the studio. And that isn't taking into account the fact of how much money they could have made if they've got it right. That's just they need to make $700 million yeah. to pay for the film. And that includes things like the production budget, the marketing budget and the reshoot budget, yeah. which is estimated at $125 million, I think. Yeah, yeah, and just the the cost of uh, covering up um, Henry Cavill's moustache by CGI. I mean... I, I, uh, I, I, thought, I thought it looked really bad. Mm. I don't think it was... If, if I'd not known, I probably wouldn't have known that it was a moustache removal. That's a strange thing to be you know, speculating <laughs> about. But the fact that he looked wrong you know there's yeah. definite uncanny valley uh you know strangeness happening and i think you know henry cavill's a handsome guy if they were that you know desperate to reshoot the superman stuff i think they refilmed almost every single scene he'd done um but if they were that desperate to reshoot it give him the beard mm. yeah he's had it in the comics he's well, he looks great in mission impossible six just do it with the beard like if, the, if they're so desperate to change the film that much I think it would have been more cost effective, less strange looking, and it wouldn't have done such a disservice to a movie star than to, you know, paint over their face. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Henry Cavill, there you go. You see Superman and a Mission Impossible movie, you know, wow, that that's that's living the dream. Considering less than a decade ago, he was branded as the uh, unluckiest 
man is in Hollywood, as they kept saying, you know, because he'd obviously been up for all these, you know, key roles, was Batman, Bond and all this sort of stuff and hadn't got them. I thought, well, you know, uh, he's doing all right now, isn't he? Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I actually, you see, I, I, I like, I think Henry Cavill is, is, is makes a, I like him as Superman, actually, because, um, uh, you know, I, I just think he sort of fits the, the, the role really well in terms of, uh, I always thought for me, the, the benchmarks for Superman were obviously Christopher Reeve. And also, um, I liked Tom Welling in Smallville and Henry Cavill seems to be this kind of blend of both of them. So I think in terms of the, the image of the character, he, he kind of, um, he kind of fits it perfectly. Um, but I, I think, you know, when, when the, when the first Snyder film came out, the, the man of steel film, um, I'm kind of, you know, with, with Simon a little bit on this one in so much as, the first sort of two thirds of the movie I thought was great because um, much as I'm a big fan of, of, of the Donna Reeve um, Superman, um, you know, and that's what I grew up with and, and that's what Superman sort of was to me. I realized that sort of everything that had taken place since then, they, they tried to sort of follow that model and, and, you know, in terms of the design and, and obviously John Williams, wonderful theme and the portrayal of, of, of Clark and Superman, they'd sort of always, always followed that. Whereas man of still tried to do something different with, with, with that same story, but, you know, uh, visualizing it very differently. And I thought it succeeded well in that. And I agree with you point William about not making Lois Lane an idiot in this you know make, making making her know who Superman is and 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 all of that sort of stuff but mm-hmm. I would the same as Simon had the problems with the sort of um mass destruction and and you, you know the fighting uh at, at the end of the film um whereas you know as Simon already said in in, in Superman 2 um you know Superman took it all the way to the, the fortress of solitude to take it away from putting people in danger. Uh, and obviously they kind of then made that because that was highly criticized. The, the basis for Batman v Superman, you know, they made that destruction, the thing that, that, that was Bruce Wayne's motivation um, for that conflict. And obviously much like the civil war thing, the, 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 the argument in the real world, as it were, um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's frustrating cause I, I have to admit the, the, the reviews, I, I tend not to listen to reviews, but I did, I did hear Mark Commode's review for justice league. Yeah. And I, I usually, I usually really agree with Mark Commode. I mean, I expect, I respect what he says, um, generally agree with him but he gave it an absolutely scathing review and i have to admit my experience i actually this is why i'm quite surprised by what you said i actually really enjoyed justice league um, i think that's the best case scenario that's everybody wants to go and like films and i think when you do that's that's the best outcome i'm sad that i didn't like it 
I'm really gutted. I was so excited and so invested in this. Um, if you think back about uh, over the last year, less than a year ago, um, the the sort of approach was originally going to be Ben Affleck writing and directing and starring in his own Batman movie. They had this other filmmaker, I'm going to try and get his name right, Rick Fukuyama, Fuyama, um, who's a guy who did like The Woods and Dope, which is an awesome film, really, really good. He was originally meant to be doing the Flash film, which would have this element with Cyborg in it, and they were going to be investigating, you know, real-world racial rights stuff, and the studio took a step back from that. Uh, Snyder's original plan, which the studio was supporting, was for a two-part Justice League with a huge cliffhanger right at the end of part, part one. And all that's been, you know, sidelined for the most kind of bog-standard, one-note, audience-pleasing drivel that they can possibly, you know, ensure is as safe as they can get. And I just think dialing back all this kind of idea of, you know, what Justice League was originally meant to be and just going with this, like things like Aquaman, uh, the Jason Momoa character, I thought he was brilliant, inspired casting. I love the look. It's a departure from the current comics. That's fine. I think he'll end up, or the plan would have been to have had, had him end up like that. Um, but instead of having this weighty kind of like growly warrior uh, outsider thing going on, they cut all his backstory and they make him just say, my man, all the time. Um, I just hated it. He's a sort of surfer dude bro douchebag. Um, and that's not what I'm wanting to see in the Aquaman film. But then if that's what's been presented in this and people like it and they go and see Aquaman, are they going to hate this, you know, serious heavyweight gravity that um, there seem to be left over from the sort of Snyder area in, in that film? I don't know. I think definitely Warner Brothers should be concerned about how they're presenting their stuff because it's not consistent. And I think when you're going into a franchise, you, it's one of the things that's been done well by Disney is the consistency is there and it all seems to more or less fit together and add up. Well, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, what keeps happening is that every time uh, a film comes out and it has, a, um, you know, a bad critical response in these films, they they react. So originally uh, there was going to be Man of Steel 2, but because uh, people's reactions to uh, Man of Steel, especially the destruction of Metropolis, they then felt, well, we need to do, we need to bring Batman in because everybody knows Batman. So we'll get Batman in and we'll do <laughs> Superman v, v Batman because everybody knows Batman. And, you know, it, it, that will fit our gritty tone. And then when Batman v Superman is, is again, not greeted very well, they go, you know, because Justice League was shooting when. Uh, Batman v Superman came out. Um, they then went, oh, oh, we got we got to fix this because it's such a mess and it's such a problem. And that's you know, that's when they got their paws in. Because as much as we talked about the bad of DCU, there is one good film there that I enjoy, which is Wonder Woman. I didn't yeah. think it was amazing, but it was great. It was its own self-contained story, and it didn't. It wasn't setting anything up. It was just, it was well-told storytelling, you know, within that universe. And it was like, so they can do Wonder Woman, but why is it they're, they're, they're dropping the ball when it comes to the other films? 
Yeah, strange question. I liked Wonder Woman a lot. Um, mm. I think it might have been one of these films where the studio and the director were on board with the vision. Um, I don't know. I, I just feel like there was this opportunity. Um, Warner Brothers has been held up as being a filmmaker-driven studio. Um, they're very focused on making sure their directors and their producers are able to tell the stories they want to tell. And I have to pin my colors to the mast and say Warner Brothers is consistently throughout my life it seems to have made films that I really, really love. Um, I really like, you know, the way that the studio operates, which is, you know, a bit dismaying to see them screw this up so badly. Yeah, I um, think I think they've, I think it's because it's such a big thing because there's so much riding on it that they feel they have to step in and they have to change things as they see it because it's it's literally like so um you know um i don't know i'm trying to think of another another film we could use as an example um okay um well a good example is uh is blade runner the fact that um test audiences uh were so you know split down the middle of the film especially the original cut that they filmed a happy ending where they're driving through fields of green and using footage from the shining and you know just to try and salvage that film but that wasn't warner brothers that actual decision came from ridley scott's in reaction sometimes films are a bit ahead of their time and it takes a while for audiences to catch up some films need repeat viewings to to get into and and into a joy so sometimes so a film like batman v superman especially as you say the director's cut is so much better if they had maybe put that out first instead of going for this shorter version um maybe they wouldn't have been so interfering when it came to justice league Hmm. yeah i mean it it, well it's it's back to this uh the thing you know where i was saying about um dc trying to or warner trying to play catch up or whatever yeah it's sort of it's sort of what i call a panic stations approach because like like you rightly said you know the the justice league was already in production when um uh bvs got all of its uh sort of bad uh, um uh critical um reviews and things of that nature and it was like you know they Zack snyder um he obviously, you know, um, had some personal tragedy yes. that, that, that went on during this as well, which is very sad. Um, but it's like, well, who do they go to to, uh, to, to you know, to t- try and sort this out and fix this problem? Oh, well, you know, that, that Avengers Assemble movie, that, 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 that did really well, didn't it? That was, re- okay, well, let's get the guy who did that. So you do, you end up getting... Um, Josh Whedon, in who's who's who is great, but obviously has a very very different sensibility um, to what Zack Snyder has, and um, you know whether you like it or not, you know it is very different. And um, obviously, you know the there is some inconsistency because I mean even the the scenes that were reshot, particularly if it was a mid-scene reshoot, uh, even though the filmmakers and whatever did a really good job of continuity and trying to make it as seamless as possible, um, you know, I could still tell 
which which those bits yeah, simply because the hair, you could see the difference of the hairstyle slightly. The hair's a really weird thing. <laughs> it looked like for a continuity. Fan it's it really hard. Like, yeah, it looked like a fan had come in and put in their own version of like, oh, this is how it's to be done. Yeah, um, yeah, and that, those were quite glaring actually in the um, in in the reshoots. I have to say, I could I could absolutely see where they had mid in mid of a scene you know put in some new lines or some <laughs> or some new mm-hmm. close-ups or whatever and it's like oh okay well that was obviously the Whedon bit they stuck in there <laughs> so I think the sad uh, thing you know, is this whole them, panic stations approach mm-hmm. I think the saddest thing about them you know going for Joss Whedon for, for me is that instead of going for this MCU rip-off which is the worst possible thing to happen to the genre it's like not just damaging for warrior brothers but it's it's going to put everybody else in the back foot as well because it lessens the quality of what should have been a, a massive movie that was really successful the film is not doing well i think what annoys me about them selecting joss whedon is that they have ben affleck you know already making the film he's part of the the production what better person to have stepped in and Zack Snyder and Debbie Snyder, who's one of the producers, his wife, what better time to step in and, you know, support them and fully deliver their vision uh, as somebody like Ben Affleck, who's, you know, an Academy Award winning filmmaker. Why didn't they go to him and say, we'll support you, we'll, you know, help you finish this movie the way it was originally intended? But the studio didn't give, you know, um, much credence to Snyder's vision and uh, went and just took it in such a you know jarringly different direction, they simply just didn't have the elements required. You know, Simon, you're saying it's an obscene amount of money. I mean, mm. they made the film worse, and they spent 125 million dollars to do it. Just yeah. don't don't understand that business decision. Forget the filmmaking completely for a while. I just think this two-hour mandate that they put down, they did exactly to Whedon what they just done to Snyder, which was, can you finish our film on? Oh, by the way right before it's coming out, make these changes. Just crazy. Mind-boggling. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you remember what Josh Whedon was like after the end of um, Avengers 2, but he looked absolutely wrecked. He looked exhausted. And I think a lot of that exhaustion came from dealing with the studio because they wanted to, um, you know, put a lot of world-building for other films in that story. And you can you can kind of tell. I mean, these as I say, four going off to these mystical cave is a complete, you know, uh, left term in the middle of a story that should just have been about dealing with Ultron. Um, if I have f- to say, yeah. I didn't like that film. I, I loved I loved the first Avengers. The first Avengers is 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 great, a wonderful film. Yeah. But uh, the, the the second one was disappointing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and and the problem with the the second one was because again they were just going really quickly. I mean, the idea was that Ultron was supposed to be a uh, a protection for the Earth, a shield, and yet you don't really see anything of that. You just see him as a bad guy straight away. I I'm bad, you know, and I just want to do bad things. But I, I'm I trying to protect the Earth as well, though. We're watching the trailer for Age of Ultron. I watched that trailer loads. Um, mm. uh, not not afraid to put up my hand and say I totally geeked out over it. And the trailer presented Ultron as being a developed character. Now, mm. 
even in a trailer to be able to deliver that's quite impressive to me in such a short space of time but you got the fact that he was nuanced that he had a conscience um and was articulate and he also in the the trailer originally was presenting an alternative to the avengers yeah. you know you want to protect the world but you don't want it to change uh, all this stuff and it was done with a serious tone and then you get to the movie and it's like ultron's a stand-up like he's just cracking all these jokes yeah. and that would have been fine if he'd, if his actions had been a complete antithesis to that and he'd been you know a brutal killer but i don't even feel like that quite materialized either fair enough again because it's a, a film that needs to appeal to children and so on but to have had that really serious um set of stakes there i think would have been that would have that was the film that i wanted to see i wanted to see the avengers make a mistake and have to rectify it. Hmm. Um, and I don't feel like that's really what I, I watched in Age of Ultron. I mean, you know, kudos to, to Whedon, the film that I want to watch that he did was uh, his version of Much Ado About Nothing right. that he shot after he made Age of Ultron over the course of about a week with his friends in his house. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of yeah. film that I think that these films, they need to try and find a way to emulate that because that's a much more uh, appealing film for me to go out and try and watch than, you know, seeing... A film like Age of Ultron, why bring in somebody as talented as Joss Whedon if you're going to not put him to good use? Exactly. And I, I think why Warner Brothers brought him in over Ben Affleck was because of, you know, it's purely to do with the numbers. It's like, well, Josh Whedon's, you know, Avenger films, you know, brought in massive amounts of money. And, and, this, is, and this is a guy who clearly knows how to handle this kind of film. Because in their eyes, Ben Affleck, he's still like an indie director. He does like the award-winning films like Argo and The Town. And um, I can't remember what the uh, gangster film he did recently. Which wasn't a success. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the fact that he at one point was going to be directing The Batman and now it's another director. So it's Mark Reeves, uh, Matt Reeves now, isn't yeah. it? And there is yeah. there is talk um, that that uh, Ben Affleck is out as Batman that they're going to replace think, him. I think Ben Affleck should walk. I think it's not good for his image. I think it's not good for his career to be associated with this. You know, he's a critically acclaimed actor, and these films are making him look really bad. He looks terrible in the reshoots for um, Justice League, and ironically, it takes him away from the thing that he wants to do, which is be a director. Um, right. And I think if you want to be a director. You guys will, will know all about this. You have to go and make movies yeah. as a director. You can't do anything else. It just distracts you. It's already so much work to package and direct the film. I think Batfleck should leave now before they wreck his uh, presentation of this character anymore. Which is a shame Wait, because see, I, I, I just I, want to say, because uh, Ben Affleck is a massive Batman fan and he this is a part that he's always wanted to play and that's why he's sort of, took it on and signed on for all these films yeah. and stuff well, I, yeah I, I love his version of the character I think he's well I love I was gonna, his version of the character I thought he was brilliant I, I actually really yeah I really like um, Affleck's middle aged Bruce Wayne I, 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 I really do I like it a lot I think um, I think it's one of the characters that really works in the film um, is, is yeah I, li- I like um I like the you know the 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 older Bruce Wayne you know the middle aged Bruce Wayne that they've gone with with this, where you know you have to imagine he's been fighting crime you know as Batman in Gotham for twenty 
20 something years but now you know he's here and he's kind of in this in this film he's almost sort of taken on a a mixture of the um sort of uh tony stark nick fury type role you know in in Mm. terms of he's trying to assemble this 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 team he has assembled this team now but uh um you see i yeah i'm 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 really i'm really sort of digging what um what affleck is doing with this i i i like it so i find it uh yeah quite quite interesting that that, that um that that you guys are not so keen on on that so hmm. i interesting. i did something that i don't normally do in the cinema and that is uh made my displeasure at what i was seeing known by blowing a big raspberry uh, <laughs> when when batfleck said something's definitely bleeding you know that to me is that is blasphemous to make batman you know that kind of foil for just rubbish jokes uh, I thought it was terrible. I hated the way that it'd been rewritten. Yeah, um, I also. Me, I, could, know, I, could I just say? I just say. I mean, also the fact that he's quite willing to show everybody who he was. You know. Yeah, and I, talking to Alfred when he's mm. you know in front of a criminal and stuff that doesn't happen in the comic. Um, I just think for every bit that I loved in Batman versus Superman, where he's you know screeching at Alfred, if there's a one percent chance Superman's our enemy, we have to destroy him. You know, repurpose Dick Cheney quotes. Um, yeah, something's definitely bleeding. It just makes me. I think after Justice League, I'm actually out of the DCEU as a as a film oh, wow. fan. Don't think I'm going to spend any more money on it. I might go and see Aquaman, but it'll be a a case of reading the review first before I decide to buy a ticket. I really, I can't, I can't begin to explain how disappointed I was with Justice League. Really, like, not much for me to enjoy there. I don't think. And I think what's what? really annoying is that I can see part of the original intention. I've followed the film for months, you know, during its production and reading all the little bits about it and so on. And uh, I can see part of what the original intention would have been. Um, somebody was, I was reading online recently that uh, the film was set in 2016 and it was going to be this kind of possible reaction to the the Trump administration and him winning the election and this idea that even in dark times, if the world's not what you want it to be, if you and your friends band together and support each other, you can still succeed. And I just didn't get that at all from the film. I got, if your film isn't, if you're a film company and you're not certain about your product, uh, you can't spend more money to make it better. You know, you just release what you've got rather than trying to make up something else. Sorry, they, they, they definitely sort of up the levity in this film a lot uh compared to the the, the previous um uh y- you know installments and um y- you know it, it seemed to me that like very much the, the 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 barry allen character in this was was a you know massive comic relief um mm-hmm. for the film in fact it's it's he kind of does what in the tv show uh cisco is kind of more the comic relief yeah. and barry is more the sort of straight guy Whereas in in this sort of retelling of it, um, you, you know, they've kind of made him the the, the comic relief um, in this. But also the the other problem is, um, I felt like I was watching a lot of things that were already very familiar to me. And um, what I mean by that is, I, I'm about a season behind on the CW stuff, the Arrowverse stuff. But um, the whole Flash thing, where he goes to visit his dad in in prison and says, you know, about how he he, he wants to, 
you know, clear his name of of, of killing his, um, murdering his mother and all this sort of thing. Uh, you, you know, we, we've had all of that over like two seasons of the TV show. So when, when that came on screen, it was just like, oh, well, you know, I've seen that. That's That's already happened, you know, which is another weird thing with them sort of making these two separate universes rather than taking a sort of Marvel route and having it all sort of connected. So I did feel that I was watching some stuff that I'd already seen, albeit on a smaller screen. Um, I don't know whether that bothered any of you guys. Um, it, it, uh, it, it just seemed a bit jarring to me just because it just felt so familiar. Mm. Uh, I must admit, I'm not... Um, I, I don't watch the CW stuff, so I'm not... I'm not really that um, aware of it. Yeah. I have I've quit watching the CW stuff. Uh, just don't have the time to watch five hours of TV each week, unfortunately. Yeah, um, tell me. It, it didn't it didn't bother yeah. it didn't bother me. Um, I think with these characters, because they have very clearly set origins, I think you deviate from that at your peril as a filmmaker, and you have to really be doing something quite different, or you know be doing a different version of the character to deviate from it. I don't know. I think uh, it raises the stakes for a certain amount of the flash uh, for his kind of character. But what we were presented with in the film, I think that was a leftover Snyder scene. Um, and really the film has become something else um, since then. So it didn't really, didn't really do anything for me other than just being a bit that was left over from a previous version of the movie. I didn't particularly like any of the characters, I have to say. Um, I think maybe that Ezra Miller's performance might have fared better in a version of the film where they didn't all crack jokes all the time. But I think in this version, he just seems like the sort of person you'd kick out your superhero team um, rather than have him in it because he was so annoying. Yeah, I mean, that's, I must admit, I don't a complaint I had about the Ghostbusters film last year where everybody was trying to be funny. There was no straight people you know mm-hmm. yeah and um yeah this sort of trend to make everybody funny it's just it, it doesn't work well, it, yeah and it stops it stops anyone being funny mm. i think um you're gonna love this simon i actually quite like the ghostbusters film i had my knife sharpened and i was so geared up to really hate it i think the the error on the part of sony there other than again mm-hmm. they're absolutely uh, departing with reality level of budget um, was the fact that they made a Ghostbusters film. If they just made a movie about four paranormal investigators who were doing this, I think there would have been a lot less uh, fan backlash. Um, because it, to me, it wasn't a Ghostbusters film, uh, even though that's what it said it was. Uh, I still enjoyed it. I still thought it was amusing enough. Um, two and a half out of five, maybe. Uh, uh, but yeah, it wasn't as bad, I think, as people made out. That's that's a whole nother podcast, guys. Yeah, but I just I just want to say, I mean, the, the 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 jokes fell flat in that, and as I said, everybody was trying to be funny. There was no straight people at all. I mean, when you have when it comes down to the scene where they're getting fired from the university and the guy's flipping them the finger, it's just like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. yeah, it's not Ghostbusters. It's just. <sighs> what an absolute mess. It's such a shame that they dragged all the original members in for cameos. I mean, the Bill Murray stuff, you could just tell he was like, let's get through this so I can go. So I can get my check. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I mean, it, it wasn't a case of just a check. It was, you know, he was literally forced to do it. He didn't want to do it at all. I mean, they threatened uh, lawyers and everything if he didn't do it. It's bizarre. That really well, breaks my brain. Mm. I was going to say, I do I do love Hollywood film. Um, and I do, you know, I like getting my knickers in a twist over being upset about Justice League. Uh, I, I love being, uh, you know, appalled and, and angry about it. But at the same time, I think if I want to watch really interesting film, I now go and look for indie films and for the smaller films, because these are films that are made in a way where whoever's making them, they have a lot more control. Yeah, they maybe don't have a huge amount of resource, production budget and so on. But if you aren't beholden to having, you know, that insane billion dollar uh, sort of achievement which I think is a, a sort of a, the Force Awakens current kind of a trend. If you're making your movie and you're not putting in huge, huge budgets, you then have much more creative expression and creative freedom to kind of tell a good story. Yes, um, and also the word is being creative because uh, with boundaries, you have to think of ways to get round them. And, yeah. and I think that's... Mm-hmm partly what the problem with a lot of Hollywood blockbusters is at the moment is that they have so much money that they can do whatever they want and they they will having been on the set of Transformers and seeing everything that was shot and everything that was used you do get the feeling that the directors don't know what they want or don't have a vision and just shoot everything just literally shoot everything that they can and then they throw it up on a wall and see see what sticks because when I was on that film, the, the story was, and I hadn't read a script, but the story going around set was it was a time travel story, that these guys had gone back in time to uh, prevent what was going to happen with um, with this, this planet-destroying creature. or um, And it just didn't work out that way. It was just the prologue, and it was a very short prologue where all those battle scenes that we shot for days running through the mud, running through the explosions, all the battles, all that kind of stuff, mounted to about maybe a couple of minutes on screen. And you you really could tell that the director didn't have a fucking clue. (laughs) I'm going to say that right now. Michael Bay did not have a fucking clue how to do... I I mean, imagine it. You have a close-up on a main actor delivering a speech, which takes 10 times to do, and... While he's doing it, everything else is going around. You know, they are literally having us run through the mud where it's literally a close-up on the guy delivering a line. It's a strange decision. It's a very strange decision. It's such a waste of everybody's time. It's a waste of money. And it's just, you you are scratching your head going, I I don't understand the decisions being made here. It It just seems like I just want everything. Because, I mean, there would be about 10 cameras going every time. And yeah, it's like having having a multiple camera set up on big films like that, I understand why it's done, mm. but it does to a certain extent, I think, neuter the director's power to say, this is the shot. And when you get to the edit, you've then got, you know, your 10 cameras footage. And that shot that the director wanted that was convinced is going to open their, their scene You've now got three other shots that are also brilliant that look really good, but do they serve the story? Yeah. Um, I mean, I I understand that, you know, Michael Bay's style is to cut 
every second or two. You know, I think the longest shot they will hold is three or four seconds. And it's so, yeah, you need a lot of footage to cover a scene like that. But it, when you have, you know, doing something 10 times because the actor can't get his line properly and, um, you know, through great sacrifice comes victory. I believe the line was. No sacrifice, no victory. There you no. go. We See, we knew the bloody line by the end of, of the 10 takes. <laughs> and this poor guy, I don't know if it was nerves or whatever, but he kept blowing his line. But the thing is, it, it didn't need to be, he didn't, the shot was, and I know this for a fact, I've seen the film, they didn't use any of the other shots that were going on. It was just a shot of the horse moving in with the guys behind him and they're going, but my Lord, we must move. We must retreat. They're getting closer. They're going to, you know, this is a dark day for us. And he's like, you know, no sacrifice, no victory. And you're like, that you just needed one camera on that. You didn't need the explosions. You didn't need us running through the mud. You didn't need the sword fighting going on because it was just that shot. And it wasn't like we were in the background. We were in the opposite. We were behind the camera. All this so stuff that I'd, was going on. I'd like to bring up uh, a thing said by Spielberg a little while ago and mm. see what you guys think with just with your story there and reminding me of it. Spielberg said he thought a superhero film would be so big and so bloated it would collapse a studio um, and mm-hmm. that it, would, it would make the superhero bubble burst. Do you guys think that that's a possibility or do you think that the genre is kind of going down in the tubes anyway um i well this is the thing i mean i mean justice league has made money i mean it's made silly money i mean it's 400 billion dollars at the moment i think yeah but not enough to cover the costs um i think we're gonna get i don't think this is the film that's going to bring down a studio but there is going to be a film like this where people just go nah I, you know, I want to see something else now, you know, or I, I don't like this brand of superhero films because it's just, you know, what what's the point? Like yourself, you're saying, I, I'm not going to pay for a ticket to see yeah. the next one. And I think, you know, I think there's going to be a film that comes along where they spend that ridiculous amount of money and hardly anybody goes to see it. And, you know, the, the studio, you know, because as you say, you know, 300 million plus whatever else has been spent on this. There's been a lot more spent on it. You know, you're thinking to yourself, why isn't the studio now, you know, filing for bankruptcy? (laughs) But it's, uh, yeah, we'll get a heaven's gate. A heaven's gate is going to come along and it probably will be in the superhero genre, if not the blockbuster genre. It will be a, a mammoth, you know, film spent, you know, loads of money on and it, it doesn't make hardly any of it back. But will it bring Hollywood down? Probably not. Um, nah. Hollywood has, has ride the storms and, you know, they're still there. They're still making films. They they might, you might see a return to this kind of 70s style filmmaking where, you know, back in the day it was the musical that they were making loads of and then people stopped going to see it and then they turned to the younger filmmakers, the indie filmmakers and say, well, we don't have any ideas. Your films seem to be doing well. You know, what do you want to make? But the thing is, as soon as something comes along, which they go, right, we know the formula to that. Yeah. 
then then that door closes. But the problem is that for that situation to happen again, it's I don't think it will, just because uh, the studios are now massive corporations and they they have their offices everywhere and they 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 have all these things in place to say, well, we know what audiences want. We do surveys. We get you know. We see the trends. We look at what uh, you know other studios are doing, and we want to do that as well. So, there. I, I don't think I don't think that uh, situation in the seventies would ever happen again. I mean, maybe people will turn to watching more indie films, and I mean, as we've seen with the with a lot of the blockbusters recently, that they have turned to indie filmmakers to come on board and direct them. But then I think that's also a way of control because look what happened to Rogue One. Mm-hmm. You know, that was taken away uh, from uh, Gareth Edwards and, you know, totally recut. And we don't know what his, you know, original, you know, everybody wants to see his original cut, the film. I mean, we've seen a lot of it in trailers, but we'll never get to see it because Disney won't allow it because they're very happy with the version that did went out, which, you know, as as we know, contained a lot of reshoots by another director. Mm-hmm. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah. It's, I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I watched Rogue One after not being particularly blown away by The Force Awakens. I thought it was, again, a, just a cynical, money-grabbing uh, Disney box tick. Probably J.J. Abrams' worst film is only miss, I would say. Um, but I thought Rogue One was better. Um, yeah, it was all right. I, I, I liked it enough. Um, but I think, again, it was one of those films where I just thought, what was the original intention? Why didn't it come out, you know, unmangled uh, uh, by the studio? And again, like, one of the things that I think when studios get their, you know, board of execs and their test audiences in and they start chopping, it's the music that seems to suffer. And I just thought the music in Rogue One, um, it wasn't there as a Star Wars film for me. It didn't have that blasting John Williams kind of multiple theme uh, orchestral score. No. Uh, but I don't know. Mm. The, 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 I saw the trailer for uh, the, the Last Jedi um, when I was watching Justice League. And it looks, in terms of its marketing, that looks the best out of the, the last three that they've done. So... Will I go and see it? Maybe if one of my friends takes me. Well, that I mean, that really is a whole other podcast. <laughs> and, uh, I, 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 I love Rogue. I love Rogue One. And I'm not going to go into all that right now. But uh, so, so back to let, let's talk a little bit about Zack Snyder then. All right. The the, the reason being, I mean, obviously with total respect to um to to, to the personal tragedy he's gone through, which is which is awful. But mm. um. You know, for a long time, maybe unfairly so, I was saying one of the problems with the DCEU is that they needed to sack Zack, right? Because, um, you know, Wonder Woman, as you've already said, being a great example is okay that they went and gave us some backstory there. They they, they did something that that t- takes place out of the sort of time frame that we're in with these uh, Justice League and Batman v Superman films and went and gave us some backstory. Uh, really, they were kind of doing with Wonder Woman what Marvel had done with Captain America, you know, only yeah. they were making it the first world war instead of the second. Mm-hmm. And Paddy Jenkins, it, 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 you know, didn't 
absolute fabulous job. I mean, I think Wonder Woman is a sterling film. Um, you know, we all love Gal Gadot and what's not to love about her. You know, she's wonderful. But, uh, but you know, beyond her, the rest of that film was nicely put together. Awesome performance by Chris Pine, etc. as well. Um, but Zack Snyder... You know, one of the things he's really good at, he is really good at sort of recreating these comic book panel type shots and, you know, his photography and his look for all that stuff is, is really good. But many, many think that, you know, he's not so good at the, um, the character uh, um, stuff. But I mean, what if, if I remember right, our very long conversation we had had in in uh, Glasgow was 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 about Zack Snyder and um you know if if I remember right you had quite strong f feelings William that that you really rate him yeah, as a filmmaker is, is, is that correct I'm a I'm a Zack Snyder fan I like his stuff um I appreciate that he's a divisive filmmaker <coughs> I think that's a good thing um I think any art personally I tend to enjoy stuff more if it's really polarizing um, I like things that are, you know, I really like it or I really hate it. The worst kind of output for me is, oh, it's okay. It's all right. Um, so that's that's sort of not, not fun. I appreciate because he is divisive that people maybe wanted him gone from the DC stuff. And I'm not against that. I think that's fine. My issue really isn't Zack Snyder. It's the way that Warner Brothers sort of threw him under the bus on this. And I think... You know, I would have been happy to see a Justice League directed by a second Justice League directed by Joss Whedon, where he was fully in control of it. But um, just let Zack Snyder finish his trilogy. You've set up this, you know, version of Superman where it begins in Man of Steel. He's an immigrant to Earth. He's an alien. In Batman versus Superman, the whole world's against him. Batman wants to kill him because he doesn't understand him. And then, you know, in Part Three, he's just a delightful, happy. Uh, you know, kind of almost on drugs level of euphoria. Um, and it just didn't fit. So I wouldn't have been against Zack Snyder, um, you know, coming off uh, directing duties on these films. Um, but I, I didn't like the way that he was treated as a director by the studio. I think it was rubbish. Um, I'd also like to say mm -hmm. he, um, I believe, wrote part of the script for Wonder Woman and he and Debbie Snyder produced... Uh, the film along with, I think, Charles Roven, who's one of the guys that's uh, doing all the DCU stuff. So, as Warner Brothers are attempting to uh, have Wonder Woman nominated for an Oscar, were it to win Best Picture, it would be Zack Snyder that's collecting the Oscar um, for that, I believe. Um, not to diminish any of Patty Jenkins' input. I think she's the sole reason the film is as good as it is. Um, but I think that would be a nice little fuck you to any... Uh, Snyder hairs would be him getting best picture uh, reception for Wonder Woman would be uh, would be good. I don't know. I think you know he's probably made his what about last, you, Simon? last Warner Brothers comic book movie. Well, um, I mean, I really enjoyed his remake of um, Dawn of the Dead. I mean, it was it was kind of a shame it was called Dawn of the Dead because of the the similarities of it being in a, a shopping mall. But I think what they did with it was great. I remember I really enjoyed that. Um, I wasn't a big fan of Three Hundred. It felt like the greatest hits of a of like war films. You know, it's. I mean, I hadn't read the comic book, so I you know, 
I believe it's uh, it's true to that, but um, I, I wasn't a fan of it. I mean, I've gone back and I've seen it, um, you know, a couple of times since seeing it in the cinema, and you know, it's it, it's it's less grating on me. But I, I'm still not a big fan of it. Um, I enjoyed Watchmen. I mean, it did take me a couple of viewings to sort of get into it. Um, I did find that the shifts in tone kind of. A, a, a bit jarring at times from it being really super serious to it being super silly. It, you know, you either, you know, you either going for super serious or you go for super silly. The super silly stuff just didn't work with the rest of it, but I enjoyed it. Uh, I think he overuses slow motion. I think his films would be a bit quicker if we didn't have so many slow motion music montages in his films. But, I mean, that's his style and that's the thing, you know, that he does well. I mean, I thought the opening uh, credits to Watchmen was amazing. I thought that just that summing up of the history in those opening credits was really well done. Um, was not a fan of, um, oh, God, what's the, what was the film with the, the girls? I am in the middle of watching that Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch. Oh, I, Sucker I, I, Punch. Oh, I had, to, I, had to, I had to go to my bed last night because it was getting too late. Oh, right. um, but yeah, I, I mean, he's got a lot of songs in that and lots of slow mo and stuff. What oh. I would say about that is, I think he's interesting in that respect. He obviously loves that kind of style, and I think his films are so gratuitous and over the top. I, I really like that. I like watching them and I think 300 is the perfect example he just hammered absolutely everything into it uh, get the get the contrast absolutely pumped make it super colourful get that huge orchestral score blaring just get everything and cram it in for me that's one of the things that Hollywood does so well so he's a perfect sort of Hollywood director in that respect mm. um, there's even a scene <laughs> in Batman versus Superman where Batman hits Superman with a, with a sink I find that really hilarious I love that you know, just get him doing everything. Um, but yeah, I'm only halfway through Sucker Punch and the question that my friend and uh, I and, and Tabby were asking each other last night is, does this mean anything? You know, no. is, he either, <laughs> is he either an auteur and a director telling a story and he's got, you know, threads through all his films that mean something or is he just a studio hack? Um, I have to finish watching Sucker Punch to tell you the answer to that. I haven't mm. watched the whole thing yet. Yeah. Um, but certainly I would say that I would consider him an auteur director, definitely, um, rather than simply just a hack. I think there's too much going on in his movies to just write him off. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, he's no Brett Ratner. I mean, that's for sure. I mean, it, you know, you can you can watch his films and they're enjoyable. I mean, if you like them or not, that's a different thing. That's what splits people. Um, I mean, when it comes to Sucker Punch, I mean, it just, at the end of the day, it was just a lot of stuff in there that didn't amount to much. It's, it's kind of, as yeah. as you can understand, it's a bit of an unf- a forgettable film. It's the fact that I didn't, I didn't uh, remember the bloody name of it. But I mean, it, the, visually, it's it's a feast for the eyes. But you know, story wise, there isn't much there. And yeah, I mean, I will say, I mean, it. You know, the cosplayers love his films because you know they they get to dress up in those kind of costumes. I mean, Three Hundred mm-hmm. and Sucker Punch. I mean, 
the amount of times you see people dressed up as characters from those films at conventions, you know, it's like every time. So he has an effect that way. I mean, his aesthetic is, you know, is very good. I mean, you you know you're watching a Zack Snyder film. But unfortunately, the aesthetic and the storytelling don't quite match up in my book. I think this is kind of lacking sometimes, the storytelling. And I mean, that's quite clear in Batman v Superman. It's If he concentrated on just the one story, I think it would have yeah. been a lot better than trying to cram everything in. Maybe that was, yeah. again, you know, studio notes, what they wanted. I mean, the fact to waste death of Superman at the end of a film was, you know, especially when they were trying to, um, you know, silence the critics of Man of Steel, the mass destruction, by using it as a plot point, you know, the whole, you know, Batman's purpose of hating Superman. But but then to then do the, exactly the same thing at the end, even though where they're fighting is kind of deserted, you know, we get a, a, a helpful line from a, a military person going, thank God that island's deserted. Yeah, I, I hated yeah. that. I wanted yeah. them to be saying stuff like the death toll is catastrophic and stuff. I mean, like, these, these superheroes, um, you know, people... People need to be in jeopardy in order for them to exist. Um, so I have no problem with well, that. I, I have to say, I think this is a problem with a lot of the Hollywood films lately when it comes to uh, mass catastrophe, is that it, it's so much that you, you have no feeling of it. It's really, you, 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 it, you're kind of numb to it. Because yeah. at the end of the day, yeah. you see like buildings falling down and, you know, all these sort of big explosions and stuff, but you never really see the people this is affecting. And I, I know to bring up Superman 2 again, but the thing about that scene when Zod and the other Kryptonians are attacking the people in the street, you see what's happening to them, and that is affecting. When you see big CGI uh, towns being demolished, and you have no sense of scale, you have no idea of how people, you know, people are actually dying. You might get a scene, you know, one or two people that you saw early in the film running away from some rubble and stuff, but you never really get a real sense of people being in jeopardy. You just see this mass destruction, and but that has no effect. A film that does mass destruction really well on a personal level is Akira. When Neo Tokyo explodes, you feel it. I think um, it's, it's a really good point, and I think a lot of, especially specific to the comic book movie genre, um, films make that mistake. I was one of the people who was kind of on the fence about X-Men Apocalypse. There's so much in that film I really like, and then there's other parts of it I just think fall completely flat. Mm. And one of the things that they just didn't have in the film, in my opinion, was uh, stakes. It didn't matter what the outcome was. Mm. And we see cities being destroyed, you don't see people you don't see mm. the citizens in those cities you know running for their lives or you know dying or any of that there's no uh, there's nothing at stake yeah um and i think that that's something that in comic book films you have to get right because it's so integral to to the comics themselves well i think um, any any genre of film where it involves uh you know we're talking uh, blockbuster films i remember yeah. star trek into darkness where the um you know the enterprise well not 
there's there's mass destruction at the end when one of the um, ships crashes into San Francisco, destroying all those buildings. Yeah, you know, no time to worry about the people who got killed. We got to have a, a chase between Khan and Spock. You yeah, know, I mean, and, I mean, and then it's like, and then it's a couple of months later and they're like, you know, Kirk's doing the, you know, the Star Trek speech. And there's, again, no mention of the people, the hundreds of people who died in this, you know, starship falling on them. Yeah. Now, this this is definitely becoming a bit of a, uh, a blockbuster trope, unfortunately. And uh, you do have, absolutely have that disconnect. I mean, I, I think what you said about... Um, you know, Zack Snyder as a director, you, you know, sum, sums him up quite well because I think that, uh, you know, often um, things do get sort of lost plot-wise with films. You know, they're, they're not necessarily strong on that sort of thing. However, uh, he is good at making people, regardless of their gender, look absolutely fantastic on screen. You know, you know, um, I mean, some people have sort of said about some of the sort of sexist angles, but, you know, he, he, he makes the women look fantastic, but he also makes the guys look fantastic as well. So, you know, I, I would say he does that sort of even evenly across the board, as it were. Um, the whole thing with the uh, CGI side of things, and, and, I, and they do definitely go over the top with the sort of destruction stuff. But, um, in fact, that is one of the things that I think uh, Justice League does actually handle a lot better is the fact that um, in this, that they are, and that's one of the, I thought that was one of the real strong points of the film, is in this film, they are actually about saving civilians and they make a really big point about saving civilians uh, rather than, ignoring them like it like in the previous installments so that's that's one of the things that i think this film does do well to sort of defend justice league a little bit for for all of its problems uh but the other thing is i often feel that that we as the sort of generation of filmmakers that we are you know we tend to rag on cgi um quite a bit and and the thing is with cgi is uh you know i they they are still wonderful artists who who create all of that, and I have the utmost respect for it all, even though I don't understand how a lot of it's done. But I think the problem is uh, nowadays is is that there's there's almost um, you know CGI works best when you don't even notice it and you yeah. believe what you're seeing, where whereas. Um, Often, and one of my criticisms of this film, but I'd also say this about Thor Ragnarok as well, for example, is I just get bored in the fight scenes because they just end up being so bombastic and so, um, you know, over the top that, you, you know, it's the same sort of disconnect I had when I saw when the Star Wars prequels and they had the battle on Genosis or whatever in Attack of the Clones is... It all looked, you know, it was all so fantastical that I didn't actually believe what I was watching anymore. It got to the point where, I, you know, I kind of, it washed over me. And I got this with this film and I get it with many, you know, superhero think, action films. But without C 
CGI, you know, we wouldn't be able to make a lot of this superhero stuff work. So, you, you know, you've got to embrace it as well. And, um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I just think sometimes they don't always get the balance right. Yeah. I mean, I think of um, the Matrix films. I mean, partly uh, one of the reasons why the sequels were so awful was the fact that they they really relied on um, CGI. I mean, the fact that when we had all the Agent Smiths fighting Neo, I think that was the first time we actually saw CGI people fighting. And it does, and then suddenly it becomes a video game and you don't believe it. Where in the first film where you saw the fight scenes, you totally believed them because they were real people fighting. And plus you had a connection to those characters. When it's they can do anything and it doesn't affect them, you know, or there's so many of them. It just, you, you just don't care. There's, you, there is that disconnect. And so you, you see that a lot now. I mean, the thing about, um, you know, a lot of superhero films that they have this final battle scene where, you know, the heroes take on an army and you just, you just see them taking on same, you know, you know, versions of the same character and you know you know there's just bang 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 and after a while this is you don't feel anything because you've just seen it a lot i think the, the yeah. point i point i would chip in with just in the end of your uh comments about this is that i think cgi can date your film really really clearly yes and good films i think you know you're mentioning the matrix that's probably my favorite film mm. um something like that or, you know, I would compare it to Jurassic Park as well in terms of its effects. These films, the CGI components are treated as visual effects. Mm. They're one part of selling, you know, your dinosaur or whatever it is, your hyperkinetic kung fu fight. And they become a small cog in the shot. There's all these different elements that are making this look real. When you get to the, you know, current slew of huge blockbusters where there's entire people are completely created out of, uh, you know, 3D models and so on. That only looks real for a really short period of time. And then new, better uh, special effects come out and it suddenly looks dated and your eye can see how unreal it looks. And I think that, that that's bad. You don't want that as a filmmaker. You don't want people to be removed from the immersive experience. So I would say, like you guys, less CGI is a positive. Oh, yes. um, I don't know if seen Green Room recently um, it's a horror film uh, but that was I think brilliant because it was so focused on prosthetics and in camera special effects rather Fabulous. than CGI stuff Movie. It, it yeah, I, love, a really I love that film frightening shocking film I, I thought it was great mm. um, oh, here's my arms I'm not thinking about it but um, you know you don't get that with CGI very often I think uh, ironically Snyder's yeah, no, I mean that the visceral yeah. The visceral nature of what they do in something like Green Room is, is incredible. I mean, that film had me squirming in my chair. I thought it was amazing. And, uh, yeah, there's something to be said about something that, even if it's not real, <laughs> is done practically. Therefore, you know, you, your brain believes it's real as opposed to that sort of uncanny disconnect that you get sometimes with, with CG. So, yeah, I agree with you totally there. And I think, ironically, Snyder tends to be a filmmaker who's good at integrating CGI. I think he does things like, you know, his his way that he composes 
his CGI shots when he's working with VFX and SFX to get that. And also things like his his heavy grading that he does tends to make everything mesh more. And I think that's so rubbish on this film, Justice League, because at some points I laughed that the CGI was so poor. There's a particular shot of Superman flying. It just looks like somebody threw an action man up in the air and filmed it on a phone. You know, just <laughs> that shouldn't be happening. <laughs> I like it. Um, one thing I want to ask about with Justice League then and, and get your views on Um with Justice League, they decided to take a different route with the music. And instead of employing the Hans Zimmer stroke Junkie XL um, scoring, as they did in, in the previous films, uh, they went back to Danny Elfman. And Danny Elfman actually included cues from, uh, you know, his, his Batman themes. Uh, also, some of Hans Zimmer's uh man of steel themes and also john williams um superman theme in there how did you feel about the music in um justice league and did do you feel that it was a step in the right direction or too much of a step backwards i feel very strongly about the music in justice league and i feel that it was a step backwards um i think again i would just say the message being sent to me as a fan of, you know, the previous stuff, uh, the message being sent to me by Warner Brothers is we don't need your support anymore. This film's not for you. Um, I really hated the score. Um, this was a film with its sort of CGI action spectacles that needed just like crashing, you know, heavy metal guitars or like a full blaring orchestral score for those bits. I mean, music is so key, a component in film as a medium that this was totally lackluster. Uh, and I think it's no surprise that he came out the day after release and said, I didn't have very much time to do this. You know, what a sort of uh, mirroring of the sad apology of a movie that we got was the sort of half kind of apology from Danny Elfman. Um, I think like Joss Whedon, who is the director for this, um, having his name attached to this will do him no favours at all. Um, his Justice League theme, which I was listening to recently on YouTube, I think could have worked in a different film, uh, one that had been much slower and maybe, I don't know, less kind of muddled. Um, I don't think it's necessarily Danny Elfman's fault. He's just getting paid. That's fine. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, it didn't, it didn't match his previous work like Batman or Spider-Man. He's definitely as capable a composer as Hans Zimmer. Um, but I think to remove those themes from the film just rubbish. It's actually the thing that I'm most irritated at because I do like the Hans Zimmer music and listen to that quite a lot. Um, so I don't have that enjoyment with Justice League and I won't be buying the album. Interesting. Simon? Well, I've never been much of a fan of the uh, the sort of Man of Steel themes anyway. So, but then I, I'm, I'm, it's, it's a weird time we're in when it comes to film scores because there's not really that many great film scores. It's it, it does seem to be... And I know Danny Elfman has said this in an interview that a lot of the times when they're presented with a film, they'll actually have temp music in there. And what they'll do is say, oh, well, just could you do the music like this? And hence why a lot of themes now or scores sound very similar because they're going off these sort of uh, temp scores. So I think 
end of the day, that's probably what happened. They probably, when he got, a, you know, saw the film, they'd thrown on, you know, some of his music from Batman, thrown some of the music from John Williams on there. And it was like, well, I just kind of do that then. I think to have had, you know, Hans Zimmer's Apprentice, uh, Junkie XL involved in the film and who would have been continuing uh, the Hans Zimmer sort of themes. One of the reasons that I really like the the music in the first two uh, films is because he's doing this kind of old-fashioned style of composing where each of the main characters has a theme. Um, there's a theme for the movie and this all intertwines. Um, that's totally missing in Justice League and the score doesn't carry the film in any way. It just sort of exists there in the background and you can hear that a little bit of the 89 Batman theme and a bit of the John Williams theme. Um, it's it's like the studio's so embarrassed of those that it just put them in a wee bit and then took them out. Mm. You know, if you're going to do it, do it and have the full theme going. Um, again, with the Hans Zimmer moment when they turn up in the ship and you get that tiny little um, Hans Zimmer playing, that's the only time in the film where I sort of sat up a little bit and was kind of excited and thought... Is this it? Is this going to be the film that I'm wanting to see? And it wasn't. Um, so yeah, rubbish. You, you get you get a bit of the Wonder Woman, uh, although instead of the Junkie XL guitar thing, they 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 really orchestrate. You get yeah, a little I, bit of that theme I hate crop that up as well, it, don't you? It but, needed that electric cello blasting. I mean, like Wonder Woman isn't, you know, a nice sort of uh, violin strings uh, kind of theme. Wonder Woman's a warrior um, and a soldier and ready to chop off heads and kick some ass. That's what the electric cello is for. That's why her theme's rocking. Not because it's composed the way it's composed, but because it's composed for that instrument, I think. Um, so, I don't know, it goes to show if you're producing a film and you start, you know, altering somebody's creative decisions, you're altering the quality of the film. Um, and you can sometimes do that for better, yeah. but more, than, more often than not, you do it for the detriment of the material. Mm. Mm. Is it, it, what, what I've heard about this conversation and this is why I kind of thought initially it would be interesting to uh, uh, get you, you know you on board to talk about some of this is, is, is I, I honestly think listening to, to you talk today that um, a lot of my bias if there is bias is based on nostalgia and what I mean by that is um, you know me and Simon often talk really fondly. You know, I grew up the with the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. I mean, they, those along with Star Wars and whatever were my introduction into movies. Certainly, my introduction into comics came from the screen first. Um, you, you know, I also grew up with uh, reruns of the, the the Linda Carter Wonder Woman, um, you know, series, and 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 you know, she was sort of what Christopher Reeve was to Superman, um, you, you know, Linda Carter was to, to Wonder Woman for, for me and the sort of connection with the comics. And um, it's funny because some of the things that I liked about Justice League were the things that served on that nostalgia, right? But I also take your point that they've kind of moved away from what Zack Snyder was was trying to set up in his vision making it very different to christopher nolan's batman and and um you, you, you know sort of going in this in this 
opposite directions. So, yes, uh, I, I do sort of, much as I enjoyed Justice League, I, I do also totally take your point that the film itself is kind of a, a, a mess because, you know, it's been cut down to be a more palatable length and it does use two sort of different directors' visions to tell the story and they've taken a step backwards with the, with the scoring. Uh, and in terms of the consistency of that DCU world, that, uh, that the Snyderverse, if you want to call it that, um, you, you know, it has sort of moved away from. So, so I, I find that very intriguing and I think, uh, yeah, some of my bias may have been based on nostalgia, actually. Interesting. One, one of the things that happens in comic books very briefly is that your writer and artist probably rotate between once and twice a year. Um, maybe if it's something really successful like a Batman or Detective Comics or Action Comics run, you might have a writer be on it for like two years. Um, but then it changes. And one of the things that I love about comics is you can read Batman for 10 years and hate you know, some stuff that comes out and love other stuff. And it doesn't matter because it's still different people's interpretations of the character. And whatever people's opinion on Zack Snyder is, my, you know, my issue isn't really Zack Snyder. It's more the fact that the studio haven't let their director finish their story. And um, so it's equivalent to a comic being cancelled for me. I'm never going to see the resolution to something that I was invested in. Um, and that, that annoys me because I don't think Snyder should have been on for the entire thing. I think he could have done his three films or if they'd originally kept their Justice League as a two-parter, his four films. And then I think the original plan, because Nolan handed uh, the sort of reins after his Batman trilogy to Snyder and he was on board for that transition, I think the plan would have been for Snyder to pass it off onto somebody else as well. And I would have expected Warner Brothers to allow that director, maybe been Patty Jenkins, might have been somebody else, that they should have had full control and sort of reign over the creative aspects of it as well. And as a filmmaker myself, that is so attractive to the idea to see a studio allowing uh, creatives that kind of approach on an IP this big. And you kind of see that a bit with Warner Brothers giving J.K. Rowling the five uh, films for Fantastic Beasts that she'll write and stuff, but it's just disappointing they couldn't achieve that with this. Mm. Yeah. I, I think... I think to wrap up, I, 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 I wonder what you guys think what they should do moving forward to maybe save this, or what you think they should do now to, you know, to help improve these, these films. So for me to go and spend money on more of this, um, the thing that I would have to be offered by Warner Brothers as a customer would be a Zack Snyder authorised cut of the film. Um, and I wouldn't mind too much whether or not that was even particularly finished or not. I know he did a, um, a work print and an assembly cut and so on. I don't think the studio are going to spend a lot more on this money-wise. I think it will be bad for them. Any money that they spend on it is going to be money lost, I think. But uh, if they presented a Zack Snyder cut uh, rather than a Joss Whedon or a studio cut, I would buy it. But I would be reading reviews of what that contained prior to parting with any money. Uh, if they did that, I would go and see Aquaman and maybe be willing to go and see some more DCU. But if it's just left as it is, I'm pretty much out, I think. And you, Keith? Wow. 
Uh, yeah, well, I mean, um, I'm I'm surprised by this this podcast has gone actually because what I was <laughs> I kept under wraps. What I was <laughs> expecting, no, no, what, what I was expecting was I was expecting William to 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 love all of it, it, uh, and to hate all of it, and I was probably going to sit on the uh, on the fence and play referee a little bit, um, but I, I do think think it's uh, it's surprising in, in a good way. Um, you know, it's certainly made, making me rethink a lot of it now. Or, um, hearing hearing your comments uh, about it. Um, one of the things I do want to do is I've only I, I want to go back and sort of revisit it a bit more because I've only seen uh, Justice League the once, and I haven't watched um, you, you know the other films uh, much in, in in a long time. So I kind of want to see that where they're going with it i mean obviously much as as marvel do these guys have got like a sort of plan and moving forward for like the next decade or whatever now the big question is, is that going to be a reactive plan meaning you know seeing what's going to happen with with marvel films will that make dc try and sort of cookie cutter everything to sort of fit that um which which i think would be a big mistake if they did try and do that um and then also back to both of your comments earlier about you know the oversaturization of comic book films and you know is that going to kill the industry i mean is it going to be like the western in the 50s where you, you know it was just so oversaturated that that it, that it more or less disappeared apart from you know one or two films a decade um the difference here is there's a, obviously a massive amount of money made with this stuff and you know i question i don't know the answer to this but i question your comments about will will these films make their money back and stuff because the thing is they they kind of do i mean these films do extremely well in the sort of bigger merchandising aspect and and which is sometimes the problem because sometimes as we had back in the 90s with um batman and robin that film was essentially made just to sell toys and it did practically kill the the, the, the batman franchise until you know nolan rescued it nearly a decade later so um yeah, where are they going to go with this? I, I, I think that is a, a, a really interesting question. And all I hope is that they take risks with it and they don't just try and fit a mold that's having success with another studio. But, but, but who knows? They, they need to use... I, I like what you said earlier about the, um, the independent films being where the interesting cinema and storytelling mm -hmm. and character development is right now a bit like television is as well um you you, you know and then we just have these sort of tentpole big spectacle blockbuster things which um which you, you know i'm getting very tired of mass destruction um shown on screen you, you, you know it needs to the spectacle needs to move to something else and 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 i hope you know, there are smart filmmakers out there. There are smart writers and, and whatever. And I hope the uh, and there's, there's there's a the wealth of 
comic book material to pull from from nearly 80 years worth of stuff there and i just hope people people go back to the source and and use the stuff that works and put a new spin on it basically well my thoughts on it is that i think uh warner brothers needs to sort of take a step back and go right well wonder woman works and these other ones kind of worked, not worked, a bit of a mess, I don't know. And just sort of, you know, maybe just calm it down a bit, get some more, you know, self-contained stories out there before they go back and do Justice League 2. I mean, yes, they're they're going down the Marvel route and they're gearing up for the big bag to turn up so that they can all join together and, you know, fight it. But the, but the thing is, Marvel's been building up to that. Marvel have, you know, slowly, bit by bit, fed us, you know, everything we need to know about what's going to happen in Infinity War. But um, DC is sort of rushing ahead, going, well, this makes money. We need to make money, 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 money. And they're making a lot of bad decisions, which, you know, ultimately might, you know, be their downfall. I mean, yeah, I yeah. think I think Simon, I I agree uh, with you. I think that we're going to see a lot more self-contained solo stuff, and I don't. I actually think Warner Brothers may not do Justice League two because uh, this is so bad, and this film should have been the jewel in the crown of the studio's uh, IP for this uh, sort of line of their business, mm. and it's it's doing nothing except damaging the brand. I know, uh, yeah. but I we we know Justice League two is going to happen. It, I don't know. I, I mean, I unless unless they have a total regime regime change there, but their their plan is to make another one because at the end of the day they're going to throw as much money at it because they know at the end of the day people are still going to go and see it. I don't yeah. know how long that these actors are going to want to play these roles when they're not really getting the kind of you know acclaim or recognition that they really should be for playing these kind of parts the sorts of acclaim that Robert Downey Jr Scarlett Hansen and Chris Evans are getting for their mm. roles yeah but I mean it, it's not the it's not the dead end that it used to be I mean think about it if if you were in a superhero film that was it was kind of like the kiss of death for your career I mean the fact that Henry Cavill is off doing Mission Impossible you know uh, these other actors are off doing other films it's not the dead end uh, genre it used to be so I don't think it's going to affect their careers that way now most actors nowadays the lucky ones uh, they get to have several franchise films plus <laughs> they're able to go off and do their you know independent films and you know produce TV shows and, and all of that stuff the lucky dogs so yeah, that's all good what I think is fascinating is um, and I think you might be right is that point about how dc could well do the opposite of what marvel's done and, and whereas marvel have, have you know had all these sort of standalone set up movies moving into sort of the crossover stuff um that, that, that dc maybe they've done this and might step back to uh to, to individual stories. Um, my one worry with the Mar MCU, with what Disney are doing with the Marvel Universe, which I think they've so far done extremely well and have been incredibly entertaining, but I do worry that when they do have eventually this film where 
they all come together. Um, whatever director or directors is going to, you know, be in charge of that, have got quite a hard job on their hands because, you, you know, having recently watched, you know, this year we've had Guardians of the Galaxy and we've had Thor Ragnarok, which are very very amusing films and really far out there hence they don't really take place on earth at all right and to mix that with something like captain america winter soldier which is you know earthbound and much more serious and darker in tone and you know civil war and all that stuff how they're going to bring all of that together does slightly worry me in the future because I just think, wow, that's 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 gonna. It's, it's almost got the world's almost got too big for the world, if you know what I mean. It's, yeah, and you think, mm, how are they gonna do this? Well, hence why they're doing it as two films. It's the 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 Russo brothers are doing it. I mean, it's, it is filming who now. Who are great? Yeah, who well, are gr- if if great. anything, I mean, they're, I love they're currently network. filming it at this moment. I believe that they're filming both parts back to back because right. of getting all those actors together but um you know yeah, i think a huge scheduling problem yeah. if nothing else yeah but i mean <laughs> yeah. the thing is uh i think everybody more or less when they signed on to do these marvel films knew you know they knew that and they knew that that was the plan and where it was going so you know they've been very much up for it if from what i'm hearing about the actors that were in Justice League, a lot of them won out. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, I've heard that they really disliked the right, change in direction. Right. Yeah. It, was, it was not an easy uh, thing to achieve, and quite often when they were shooting inserts, they weren't being told what they were filming. Yeah. yeah. Which is easy. Can you imagine being an actor and not having the information you need to create your performance? Really, not, <laughs> not a positive filmmaking experience in my uh, book. Well, you hey, know, I no sacrifice, that. no victory. <laughs> I'm sure the actor did not have much direction apart from somebody shouting at him at, through a microphone. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I think... I think that's a good place to end it. Yeah, right, it's yeah. another huge topic for sure. But yeah, uh, yeah we, we, we dug into a little corner of it. And mm. uh, yes, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been a fascinating uh, discussion. So well, thank you very, thank <laughs> so you very thank much you for having me on. I'm sorry it wasn't, I wasn't a lot more enthusiastic about the film. Um, I was as surprised as anybody else when I, I wasn't uh, delighted with it. Mm. But uh, thank you for letting me voice my concerns and have my group therapy session that was was very helpful that's all right <laughs> we, we we know how uh how, yeah we know how these uh, group therapy work um therapy um help we had one we had one earlier this year with alien covenant trust me yes that's my favorite episode that you guys did uh, i went and watched <laughs> <laughs> now that's... And that's why you didn't do blade runner there you go yeah. mm. <laughs> Or thank God he didn't do Blade Runner. <laughs> wow, that's that's that a whole nother one, isn't it? Yes, yes. yeah, another one. Yeah. <laughs> so, William, uh, where can people find you on the online? I am on Twitter. I'm not very active on social media, I have to say, um, but you can get me on Twitter. I'm William McLaughlin. I'm at Waz McCall. Um, so you'll be able to find me on there. Let me know what you think. If you if you completely disagree, I'll, I'll be happy to engage. If you if you agree, then we can cry into our cocoa cups together. Not 
Not on social media, my God. You really well, aren't not a anyway. proper... You're not a proper millennial, are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you're not on Twitter or Facebook either, Keith. Well, but I'm I'm a, an old git, so, you know, I'm, 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 I'm the lost generation. Generation X. I'm, you know, allowed... No, no. Yeah. Well, that that may be improving in the new year, by the way. But yeah. uh, yes, um, but for now, for now, you can find my work on British Isles. That's E Y L E S uh, on YouTube. You can see short films that I've written, produced, and directed there. If you so care. And as always, you can find my work on independentrunnings.com. You can find this podcast on. Uh, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and all good podcast providers. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And leave us a rating and review on iTunes and Stitcher. It all helps. So uh, just uh, comes down to thank William for uh, joining us. Well, thank you very good. Uh, thank you guys for having me. I had a really good time talking to you. And Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I knew I knew we'd talk a lot, William. I remember Glasgow. <laughs> now, you just have to, now you have to cut out half my conversation and find somebody else to give another different perspective on the other half. <laughs> no. Oh, I think it was good. I, I, I liked that you surprised us. It's it's all good. This is what this is all about. So that's good. great. <laughs> good. I'm glad. And if there's any if there's any uh, Infinity War uh, stuff that we can talk about, I'll I'll definitely come and uh, give you my opinions on that. I'll probably love it. That'll be a total about turn. <laughs> well, I'll have you back for sure. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I really had a good time. Yeah. And uh, thank you to you, the listener, for joining us. And uh, please uh, join us for the next episode of Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. Booyah!